Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our online service today. We want to remind you that you can follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook and on Instagram. We also want to remind you that we have a Zoom prayer gathering every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And if there's a need that we can pray for, please send it to us by Friday of each week, and we'll be sure to include you in our prayer time. Well, that's it for now. Enjoy our service, and may God bless you. Even if my world falls 
for your glory above all I live for your glory Good morning church today's scripture can be found in Matthew 5 21 to 26 you have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Good morning, EPC Church family. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as we dive right back into our summer preaching series titled Uncomfortable. Throughout this series, we are considering scriptures where Jesus made those around him feel uncomfortable by the things that he said or the things that he did. We observe as we read the Gospels that Jesus made religious people feel uncomfortable and marginalized people feel safe. And sometimes, however, the church does the opposite. We make religious people feel safe and marginalized people feel uncomfortable. And so the main focus of our series is this. If we, the followers of Jesus, are going to continue his work of making marginalized people feel safe, we must begin with a fresh exposure to the uncomfortable teachings of Jesus. We're going to continue our series today by considering one of Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount, and it deals with topics such as anger and reconciliation. However, before we get into that, picture this for a moment. You're driving along the QEW, and all around you, cars are zooming right past you, almost like they're in a race against you to get to their destination before you get to yours. You know, you're going 110 per hour, they're going 150 per hour. It's, it's total chaos. Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, traffic has grinded to a full stop and suddenly you have to explain to your boss why you're late to work that morning or explain to your significant other why you're late home for dinner that night. What's your reaction in moments like that one? Well, I can tell you mine. I get angry. I get angry. By nature, I'm an impatient and oftentimes pretty competitive person and because of that I can easily get angered if traffic is slow on my commute or if someone is driving recklessly around me putting others and myself at risk. What about these examples? Someone cancelled important plans on you at the last minute that you've been planning for for so long now. Maybe you ended up doing all the work in a group project and none of your partners did anything to contribute. Maybe your your child doesn't listen when you're trying to explain something important to them. Maybe you can relate to these, or maybe you have a few examples of situations of your own that cause you to feel angry. But what the thing I'm getting at is that everyone knows what anger is. Everyone understands 
what anger feels like, and everyone has felt it at one point or another in their life, whether it's caused by a certain situation or whether it's caused by certain people, because whether intentionally or not, some people just have that gift to inspire anger within us. And when we hold our anger in, even though we may clench our fists or bite our tongues, our inner monologue kind of sounds something along the lines of a celebrity roast, which is the things that we're saying about the situation or about the person that has angered us. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. You see, even Jesus himself experienced righteous anger when he flipped the tables of the merchants who were mistreating the temple grounds for a purpose other than prayer or worship. And there are many instances of righteous anger all throughout the Bible. But Jesus isn't talking about righteous anger in our passage this morning. So what is the difference? The difference is that righteous anger seeks restoration, but personal anger seeks destruction. In our passage this morning, Jesus isn't talking about righteous anger. He is talking about anger between two people, anger against another person. Our first point this morning is seed of anger. Seed of anger. Right from the beginning of this passage of scripture, we can see that Jesus is teaching here for the religious people who have followed the law of Moses so closely, comes pretty far out of left field for them. Jesus begins by saying, you have heard. You have heard. See, most of Jesus' audience depended on what they had heard. Deuteronomy 11.19 says this, Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. This command was given to parents to pass down these teachings through the generations. So the assumption was, at this point in our scripture, that Jesus' audience have heard of the commandments. And they have heard specifically of the command that Jesus references in our passage this morning, do not murder. Do not murder. It was not a foreign commandment to them. It was not a foreign commandment. It was the law by which to live by. And anyone who broke that law would be held accountable and would be judged accordingly. However, Jesus suddenly takes this a step further for those who knew the command by saying, even if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment even if you are angry. When I think of the subject of anger, the character most famous for, for his incredible temper is the Incredible Hulk. This guy gets stronger the angrier he gets. And the angrier he gets, the more out of control and destructive he can become. It can be summarized with the famous line from the old Incredible Hulk TV show that says, Don't get me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. For the character of Bruce Banner, getting angry led to some really big consequences for him and especially for those around him. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across in our passage of scripture today. Anger is a seed in that it always harvests a consequential outcome. Jesus isn't contradicting the law of Moses or making it irrelevant by the things that he's saying here. Obviously, murder is still murder. It is still a serious offense. But Jesus makes it clear that anger is just as serious a sin in the eyes of God. Jesus is saying that while the Pharisees have, up until that point, been content enough to follow the law pretty literally, which is a focus on the external, uh, focusing on, on, on your outward actions and outward appearance, what is actually required is an inward transformation, an inward conditioning. Because if we're honest with ourselves, the state of our outward appearance doesn't always dictate the condition of our hearts. It's very easy to mask what's going on inside so that people on the outside looking in have no idea what may be going on in your life. 
It is easy to mask sadness behind laughter. It is easy to hide pain with a smile. And it is easy to mask deep-rooted anger by our actions. Again, Jesus isn't contradicting the commandment given to Moses. However, as the Son of God, he is simply revealing that there is more to it. There was more to it than simply just not murdering. It is the attitude that leads to the act. That is what Jesus is trying to address in our passage of Scripture this morning. Anger is as great a sin as murder because anger can lead to that outcome. In verse 22, Jesus tackles three different examples of anger, of personal anger. The first and most common form of anger being anger against someone. Not, not specifically siblings, but anger against your fellow people, your neighbors, your tho tho those people who are around you. While anger against someone personally is considered here to be sin, it's also important to note the results of personal anger. And it leads to broken relationships. It leads to broken relationships. Our God is a relational God. He, he wired us for relationships. But anger disrupts our relationships with one another. Jesus goes further in his teaching with two more layers to the issue. And that's one of calling someone an idiot and cursing them. The first, calling someone in, the, in our translation this morning an idiot, uh, is important because while insulting people was not against the law, name-calling was considered more serious in biblical times than it kind of is today. Much, much more importance was placed on someone's name. To call someone names in anger was essentially to take their identity away from them. Even further, it was an insult to God who created the person you are insulting in his image. So even though insults were taken more seriously back then, it would still have been jarring for Christ's audience to hear that insulting someone should land them in the highest court of the land, which is the Sanhedrin, or that by cursing them, or in other translations, calling them a fool, they would, and I quote Jesus here, be in danger of the fires of hell. Now that's intense teaching. But Jesus wanted to highlight that there is so much, there's so much at stake when we allow that seed of anger to be planted in our hearts. Our second point this morning, journey to reconciliation. Jesus approaches verses 23 and 24 with an emphasis on the need to be reconciled over issues pertaining to personal anger. Typically, when we think of the process of reconciliation, it is a, a process of us being reconciled to God, to, to restore relationship between God and us. It reminds me of David's sin with Bathsheba and how David did everything uh, that was necessary to ask for forgiveness and, and restore right relationship with God. In the typical process of reconciliation, it is us who are at fault and God who made a way for us. But in this, Jesus is describing a different type of reconciliation, that of one between two people. He uses the opportunity to address our priorities as believers when it comes to the order in which we should live our lives when we have anger in our hearts. As I mentioned earlier, relationships are important to God. They're important to Him. He is a loving Heavenly Father and, he, and that desires to, uh, to be in relationship with us. And in the same way, our loving Heavenly Father wired us to have relationships with one another. And Jesus teaches here that relationships are more important than acts of worship. 
And if need be, believers should postpone a symbolic act of worship in order for relationships to be reestablished and reconciliation to take place. This is a dramatic and incredibly powerful teaching on, on Jesus' part for there to be something more urgent than completing an act of worship to God. We can see that there is an overriding importance to being reconciled with someone over anger. And it implies that the act of worship is nowhere near as important as the attitude, or the spirit, rather, in which that act is done. How can we, as believers, expect to grow close in relationship with God through acts of worship while we hold anger in our hearts? Reconciliation is the key. God's children can enjoy unhindered fellowship with a loving Heavenly Father only if they first have unhindered fellowship with one another. Jesus is saying that anger is a sin. It is a pervasive sin that leads to other consequences in our lives when not dealt with. We can't simply just place it on a tier list of sins in order to feel better and excuse ourselves of any anger we may have in our hearts towards other person, whether we think it's justified or not. One of the most common, without fail, pieces of advice that uh, I received during my engagement and my first year of marriage to Esther was this. Don't go to bed angry. It is still something we refuse to do. No matter how many arguments we have, we don't go to bed angry. We don't put our heads down and go to sleep with anger in our hearts towards the other person. It's something echoed by Paul in Ephesians 4, 26. But what Jesus is saying here can be summarized as this. Don't go to worship angry. Don't go to worship angry. Murder is a great big sin in our eyes. But anger, Jesus says, is also sin. Anger is a sin that is destructive to our relationships with one another and affects how we view and treat God's creation. It is a seed that leads to further consequential actions, murder possibly being one of them. This leads us to see that Jesus is emphasizing how decisive action is required in order to seek out reconciliation. In Jesus' illustration, he is speaking to people from Galilee who travel to Jerusalem in order to make an offering at the altar. It is a week or more journey, and that's only one way. And Jesus is saying here that you may as well journey all the way back to where you started first and then come all the way back again to complete the act of worship once you are reconciled to the other person. Jesus placed more importance here on reconciliation than on keeping the law. He could have said immediately after making your sacrifice, like you're already here, make your sacrifice and then go. But instead, Christ instructed them to put a full stop to their worship and to only continue with it when reconciliation had taken place. Our third point this morning, rapid reconciliation. As one last illustration on the importance of reconciliation in the lives of those with anger in their hearts, Jesus uses an example of two people being on their way to court and to settle themselves quickly before they get there and things get that much worse off because they didn't settle it beforehand. If they find themselves at the courthouse and the issue is unresolved, then the consequences could involve a great personal loss, such as a loss of freedom by going to jail or a loss of personal finances in order to pay back the debt that is needed to pay. Essentially, failure to seize the moment of reconciliation means that there is a penalty that someone will have to pay. Romans 12:18 says this, 
Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. But don't hesitate to f seek out reconciliation. Don't let anger stop you from seeking re reconciliation because the cost of letting it go unresolved is just too great of one for anyone to have to pay. And don't wait for the other person to make a move either because there's not necessarily a guarantee that they ever will. Jesus is calling us, even if we're not at fault, to go and seek out reconciliation with the other party. In both examples of the need for reconciliation, Jesus emphasizes the need for us to make it a priority because we can't expect to have a heart of worship when it is filled with deep-rooted personal anger. But we can't let the anger fester because we will only be worse off for it, and the consequences of it will only continue to worsen. A final point not to miss. In each of these situations that Jesus used, reconciliation took place face to face. There is no room for a mediator. There is no judge or, or, or no priest even. The person whose action caused someone to be angry was responsible for seeking reconciliation with the affected party. Jesus warns his listeners and us as well today against letting it get to the stage where a judge was required. Attempt reconciliation on the way to the courthouse. Don't wait for it to be too late. Jesus teaches us through this to take personal responsibility for our anger and the actions that result from it. Our application for today. To reiterate the theme of our series, if we, the followers of Jesus, are going to continue his work of making marginalized people feel safe, we must begin with a fresh exposure to the uncomfortable teachings of Jesus. Jesus, in this teaching, does not hold back in making the religious people uncomfortable on what he has to say on anger and reconciliation here. Yes, do not murder is a literal, morally upright commandment to live by, but it goes so much deeper than that. So much deeper than that. That commandment expresses an outward focus. And when Jesus says that, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and us as well today need to take stock of the state that our heart is in. The state that our heart is in. The inward appearance. Because harboring personal anger is just as great a sin as murder is. But why? For three reasons, as we explored in our message this morning. The first is that anger is a seed that can lead to greater consequences. Secondly, anger destroys personal relationships. And thirdly, anger affects our value and our treatment of God's creation. But in emphasizing the nature of anger, Jesus also gives us two ways that we can help overcome it and seek out reconciliation. The first is prioritize the journey to reconciliation. Jesus uses the example in our passage of leaving an offering of worship at the altar in order to go and be reconciled with someone. It is a matter of prioritizing the act of reconciliation. We can see that there is an overriding importance to being reconciled with someone over personal anger. Decisive action is required in order to seek out the other party, in order to overcome our egos, in order to overcome any fear that that conversation might bring up and be reconciled to the other person. Secondly, don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Jesus teaches us through this to take personal responsibility for the results of our anger and to do so quickly and without hesitation because there's just so much at stake when we have anger in our hearts that goes unresolved. We can't let anger 
stay in our hearts. We need to seek out reconciliation. We need to do, to do so quickly because there is just so much at stake. As we close off our service today, maybe there are relationships in your life that have been affected by anger from one side or, or the other. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning, to reveal those affected relationships to you, and be encouraged to make that journey towards reconciliation. Just like a husband and a wife shouldn't go to bed angry, don't live a life full of anger. Because when it comes to anger, there is so much at stake. There is so much at stake for us. And ultimately, by seeking reconciliation as a result of personal anger, we will truly be able to live a life fulfilled with Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning. God, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we go about our weeks this week, you will reveal to us the areas of our lives that have been affected by anger towards another or, or, or where we realize that someone else harbors anger against us. And God, may we seek out reconciliation. God, thank you for again for your word. Help us to have a great week ahead. Protect each and every one of our EPC church members and families. And God, we love you. In your name, amen.
Hear your voice. I want to 
God. Please help us to get rid of distraction. To stop wasting men mental energy on things that we can't control. And to focus on, on what we can do. To focus on what you want us to do in, in whatever situation you've called us to. Whatever our, whatever our vocation is, Lord God. to live in worry or in fear, Lord God, to seek you with all our hearts. We constantly look to you and cast our cares on you and God, for your grace, for your love, for your peace. Please fill our hearts with your grace and with your peace. And help us to be, to be channels of your peace to others as well. We love you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We just pray that today's service was meaningful for you. And if we can be of assistance in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out to us via email or call, and we'll be there to help you as best we can. May God bless you and have a great week.